you know, what they're looking at versus what you're thinking is so polar opposite. And it's like not funny, but it's funny, you know, it's humor it's and humorless situation. You have to, yeah. have to laugh about it. And that's what I was trying to put in there. Like some of the humor of it, like, yeah. um, what, what size is your bulletproof vest? I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a cheerleader mom, you know, I don't, I don't do this very often. So, um, forever. So just yeah. stuff like that. And, and they did make it look like we were coming in storm in the city. Um, we were the big, bad national guard at that time which is what it's completely made to the opposite. Now, all of a sudden we're, we're the heroes again. And, and it's just, it's really kind of messes with your mind a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, are you a hero or my villain? Like, what am I today? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I really don't know what to expect from the public. Um, I got really um, cautious, I think, during June, everything that was happening. And, and I was going in, you know, kind of blinded to all that. We were going to go there. We were going to, um, support the protesters, protect the protesters. That was our primary mission. We weren't there to take them down. We were there to um, protect their First Amendment. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. My name is Dave Brown. I'm the co-host here along with my partner, Barbara Allen. And today's guests are Julia Mackey Pyra and Nicholas Catronio. They are the co-authors of the recently released book, Guardians, Stories of the 2020 Civil Unrest in Washington. Their book describes Julia's firsthand experience as a member of the DC Air National Guard and her deployment in response to the violent riots that we saw in Washington, D.C. this past June. The orders Julia and the rest of the National Guard received were to protect the protesters who were exercising their right to peacefully assemble. But when the protests ended that evening, the riots began, and Julia found herself on the front lines of violent social unrest. Today, Julia is back on the duty in DC as part of the National Guard presence that we've seen over the past month or so. And in this episode, Julia, a seasoned Navy veteran, as well as a current National Guardsman and DOD employee, as well as Nick, who is also a military veteran and current DOD employee, compare and contrast the June and January protests and violence. They break down the reality of the National Guard presence as compared to the media's reporting and talk about what it's like to be on the front lines of violent unrest. So please enjoy this episode of the American Sippets podcast. You're listening to the American Snippets podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen, and very excited to be sitting down here. As always, I feel like I say that every week, but it's true because every week we just get to meet more and more amazing people with stories that I would never, ever, ever get to hear were it not for, for what we're doing with American Snippets. And we appreciate hearing from you all that you enjoy this as well. Julia and Nick, I am like almost a little jumpy to, to get into this because it's something that is so interesting to me. Um, you are co-authors of the book Guardians. Julie, you want to pop that up for, for everyone to see? This is the book Guardians that is out there. We are going to go deep into what prompted that book and what it is about. That is the firsthand experience of what it is like to be a National Guard soldier deployed in D.C. for the round of riots um, last year. 
And Julia, you are also now actively involved in the uh, events in DC as a National Guard soldier as well. So super fascinating. We're going to get into what we're seeing um, versus what we're seeing in the media versus what is actually happening. Before we do that, Julia, let's just get a little bit into your background, get some context on your experience in the military and, and where that all started, where, how you fell into your line of service. Okay, sure. Um, thank you for having us, for yeah. starters. Uh, excited to be here. So um, I joined the Navy right out of high school, uh, small town, Minnesota, joined Navy to travel, see the world. Um, I went into a combat air crew rate. Um, so we were flying on P3s and uh, patrol reconnaissance, uh, anti-submarine warfare type stuff. So it was it was a lot of fun. We did that um, in the late 90s. And then I got out after my first tour. I did five years. And then I met my husband and, and wanted to settle with kids and all that. And I didn't want to have to leave them. Um, so I ended up getting out, um, working as a civilian for the Navy Department of Defense, um, kind of a continuation, but I came home at night. Um, and then I had a 15 year break in service. <clears throat> my kids are starting to get older teenagers and my oldest just went off to college and stuff. So I was, I was really missing the being a part of it. And, uh, I felt like my, my service wasn't quite done yet. So, um, Three, two and a half years ago, I enlisted in the Air National Guard out of D.C. Um, because it's not too far from home. And, <clears throat> you know, I'm familiar with being on the, the airfield and stuff. And, and that is where, you know, my passion is anything aviation. So, yeah, it just kind of all fell into place that way. But maybe a little unconventional. Unconventional is always the best way to go, I think. It just uh, all of life is unconventional. So. You got to roll with it, right? So let's touch on that a little bit. Um, you know, my husband was a National Guard uh, officer. And when he went into the National Guard after having been full-time military and realizing, um, you know, that wasn't the time for him, he wanted to get back in and go full-time military. When we discovered I was pregnant with the first child and I was like, oh, hell no, you know, that's, I'm not like a good enough person to do that, right? So, so... Uh, so he went into the National Guard. And at that time, that was before 9-11. So for him, it was less of a service than he wanted to do. And he found you know, his satisfaction in teaching. That's how he fulfilled the, the rest of that. But the National Guard then was very different from where it is now. And I, I just want to touch on that with you a little bit, because there is still a perception from people, especially, I think, outside the military, that the National Guard is, uh, you know, weekend warriors and... Y'all don't really do much anyway. So, I mean, what's what's the reality of that? What What is the service that's expected of you in general as a National Guard member? Well, I, I think I thought initially it was just going to be a weekend warrior type job as well. <laughs> Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there's constantly extra duties popping up. We deploy um, whenever, like deploy overseas, which kind of surprised me as well. I thought we would be mostly domestic. Um, but yeah. And then of course the, the natural disasters, the, um, first aid type deals and stuff. Um, but didn't really expect anything like this with protesting and riot control and stuff like that. So that's, that was completely new to me. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it's new to everyone except for maybe the rioters. Um, so, <laughs> 
So, and we, yeah, and we will get into that here very quickly too. And Nick, you guys work together. We do. Yeah. Yeah. At the Department so, of Defense? Yeah. So we're defense contractors uh, okay. and that's how we, we got to know each other. All right. Yeah. And Julia, you have a bunch of books that you've written. Yes, Not I just have the ones. Yeah, go ahead. Four children's books that are, um, they're all kind of based for military children. Of course, anybody could enjoy them. Um, and then I have my, the one that we just did, but then I also wrote um, What They Don't Teach You in Deer River, which was basically from the time I uh, got into boot camp to the time I got out um, and my experience in the Navy. And, and I just kind of started with small um, random stories, but lessons learned along the way, because I'm always completely awkward or falling down the stairs of the <laughs> aircraft or something like that. So it started with funny stories and then I just kind of <laughs> pieced them all together and it developed into a book, which kind of is how we did this a little bit. The Guardian's book, yeah. we chronologically based it um, with the different random stories and then pulled it all together with the events that was going were going on at that time. Okay, so let's get into that then. We all saw, and right before we started recording, I was explaining to you all, you know, where we're going with this. I don't know any more of what actually happened on the ground in that round of riots than I was told on the media. And I don't know any more about what's happening now, what happened with the inauguration and all that, than I was told in the media. And I, along with much of America, would really like to know what actually happened as opposed to what we're told in the media. If it turned out, you know, I was there January 6th uh, at the rally. So I, I know that it wasn't all portrayed exactly how it went down. I know that a lot of it was taken out of context and spun and skewed. And, you know, we're all villainized that all the hundreds of thousands of people were there. So based on that and based on experience I had in the past, my belief at the moment is that what we are seeing in the media is not really accurate, but I don't know for a fact that that's true. So let's go into, let's go into the first round of, of riots when you were deployed last year. To, and, and here's the other thing. A lot of people that, that I'm seeing on social media, it's like, it seems really important to them to jump in and be like, oh, FYI. Washington DC is not a deployment like there. So let's, let's go through that first. <laughs> like, why are people so tweaked about that being called a deployment? I guess maybe that's the, the perception is it's overseas, but I mean, right now my normal life is completely uprooted and that's my full time. So it's, it's taken away. You know, I guess that's how I would look at a deployment more. So um, you're, you're taken away from your normal job and uh, life and family and focusing on that. So whether you're, you're domestic or, you know, overseas, but um, yeah, so it was, it was definitely unlike anything that I was expecting. Um, and I think the main thing, we weren't really mentally prepared for any of it, a lot of it. I mean, I, I don't think our, our leadership even knew exactly what we were getting into because it all just happened so fast, starting with um, the George Floyd death um, and everything, how it just kind of escalated from there, whether, you know, starting with Minneapolis and, and going across the country until in, it ended up in DC. And, and that's what the book is primarily focused on, because that's what I know. And I, I really made a point to not write anything that I didn't know for sure as fact, um, or what I witnessed or saw. Yeah, and your experience, I'm sorry, and as you're, I'll, I'll shut up in a second, Nick, I'm just saying, <laughs> um, your experience, you know, when I'm reading the book and, and reading through 
like how like you're just saddled with all this equipment. You didn't even know what it was, you know. So people, you know, in the media are like, oh, these national, these military officers are walking down the street like a bunch of thugs. And in the meantime, you're like, what is this thing? How do I wear this? This vest is too big. It's dragging on my back. Like, so, you know, what they're looking at versus what you're thinking is so polar opposite. And it's like not funny, but it's funny, you know, it's humor it's in a humorless situation. Definitely yeah. have to laugh about it. And that's what I was trying to put in there. Like some of the humor of it, like yeah. um, what what size is your bulletproof vest? I'm like, I don't know. I'm I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm a cheerleader mom, you know. I don't I don't do this very often. So um forever. So just yeah. stuff like that. And and they did make it look like we were coming in, storming the city. Um we were the big bad national guard at that time, which is what it's completely made to the opposite. Now all of a sudden we're we're the heroes again. And and it's just it's really kind of messes with your mind a little bit. Um uh yeah, are you a hero or my villain? Like what am I today? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I really don't know what to expect from the public. Um I got really um cautious, I think, during June, everything that was happening. And and I was going in, you know, kind of blinded to all that. We were gonna go there, we were gonna um support the protesters, protect the protesters. That was our primary mission. We weren't there to take them down. We were there to um protect their First Amendment uh, and the rights to have the protests and, and this and that. But But that's uh, not what we were told. We were told <laughs> that you were there to police the protesters. That's what everything we're hearing is look at the disparity. So the disparity is that you were there in in a presence in June where you really weren't there. I didn't really see many people there January 6th. And we were told that that's because that was like some sort of privilege to us. But what you're, what you're, what I'm hearing is that we just maybe weren't considered worth protecting by the people, you know, like that's, that's how my mind interprets that. Like one group needed protecting and the other didn't, but they're saying they needed policing and we didn't. So which is it? Is it they needed policing or they needed protecting? And did we not need policing or did we not need protecting? Like that, you know, the narrative that's being told is different right. than is already different. Well, that that's the interesting part, right? Because George Floyd was killed on a Monday and the National Guard was deployed that, you know, following week. They deployed first in, in Minneapolis and then the waves of protests around the world, even, but in the States they. You know, so they were activated very quickly, you know, via text message, get get your go bag and get ready to go. And, uh, you know, especially the folks who don't normally do, uh, you know, riot control uh, like Julia are told, you know, like you said, get fitted for a bulletproof vest, get fitted for all this gear and go out in the streets of D.C. So, you know, her first night in D.C. is amazing, right? Because there's there's riots going on. There's, you know, it's it's, you know, it's all captured very well in the book. but it it's such a contrasting. How long did you know that you were going to go to DC on January 6th? A couple of days. I, okay. It was sort of a last minute thing for me. But it was a, it was a planned event. I mean, I think people knew about January 6th for weeks, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in my yeah. mind, it was not a, a riot, you know, it was right. <laughs> in my mind, I wasn't going to war. Um, you know, I was going to connect with some friends I hadn't seen in a long time, meet some people that I've been sort of collaborating with online. And now I knew we we're going to be there. So it was as much a networking opportunity for me as it was a chance to meet with like-minded people. 
and experience something that I knew was going to be historical and see it for myself um, as much as show my support. Yeah, go ahead. It was another protest. I mean, that they have daily in DC. So, which I'd never been to one before ever, ever like <laughs> ever. And so, yeah, that I was my... be there before June. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so you had all of a sudden you get this text like, hey, suit up, mama. We're going. Yeah. So I guess the reason <laughs> we, you know, and that's the contrast, I think that's amazing to most of us who just consume the media is you have this, this all of a sudden type protest that springs up in the nation's capital and you activate the National Guard starting with D.C. and then up to, you know, 13 other states who sent members of the National Guard. In June. All sh- Go ahead. In June. Yeah, in June. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. During the Black Lives Matter, yeah. you know, protests. And they all show up and you have this, you know, protest during the day, turns into night, turns into riots, turns into, you know, horrible things that are happening to D.C., defacing of monuments, all this thing. And it was, you know, weeks, right? And the media reports how brave everybody is, how historic, you know, and how, you know, great it is. They, they take videos of politicians in the street standing arm in arm with these people. This is the, you know, what a movement we've created. This is all great. Meanwhile, Julia is texting and calling and saying, hey, they're throwing, you know, bottles of frozen water, bottles of urine at us. They're, you know, verbally assaulting us. They're, you know, so none of that's covered in the media. And, you know, you spoke to that earlier, but that was it. You know, our forward is a a bunch of text messages uh, back and forth. Hey, you wouldn't believe what's really going on up here and how the media is portraying it. So that was the complete motivation writing the book. Here's what really happened from the eyes of somebody who was there to protect the people, not there to, you know, to tamp down the insurrection or to do anything like that. Uh, That was not an insurrection, Nick. That was that was an expression of your First Amendment rights. You know, that was you can't call that an insurrection. (laughs) No, I know. And that's what that was. I know. I know. I'm just teasing. But like, that's what we're told. Right. Like January 6th was an insurrection. But that was a celebration of our patriotic duties. And that was my, my twist on words because, you know, looking at January 6th, right. So you have this peaceful protest that we've known about for two weeks. You have a, a very select group of how many, how many people stormed the Capitol versus how many people were there? Percentage. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So how much of the media in the crowd, by the way, had no clue what was happening. Like no clue what was going on inside the Capitol. And even as we were leaving, when I did find out, we left, you know, I was like, well, this is, this is terrible. This is terrible. Like this is terrible. We had to wait to find a friend that we were separated from. And when we found him, we were like, this is not why we came, you know, after you stand there for 10 minutes, like sort of shocked and, and absorbing what you're seeing, then you start to realize, okay, you know, this isn't really what we came for. And you go and we're telling people on the streets, like, what's happening? We're like, oh, my gosh, you know, this and nobody could believe it. You know, everybody's like, what? You know, so that's the difference, I think, right there. But yeah. Or it's a similarity, right? A few bad actors, a few bad actors on both sides. Right. But to your point about what did the media cover? The media covered the peaceful side of the Black Lives Matter protests, talked about the greatness of all it was and everything that it stood for. And then in January 6th, all we heard was for 48 hours straight was a small percentage of people who committed illegal acts. We didn't hear anything in the media about anybody in the Black Lives Matter protests that did anything illegal. You know, you saw some buildings burned. You never saw National Guardsmen wiping graffiti off of, you know, monuments. That wasn't covered. 
So, and it all comes down to pizza. And I'll tell you why it comes down to pizza. Okay. So <laughs> in the first protest, Black Lives Matter protest, um, Lindsey Graham brought pizza to, to the troops and at the armory. Um, some of, and Julia tells a story about one of her uh, spouses of one of the National Guards member bring pizza out to them while they're on the streets. Uh, pizza was delivered to some Utah National Guards members covered in the covered in the news with glass in it because they knew it was going to a National Guard member. Wait a minute. Say yeah. that one more time. So we read an article and I, I can't verify it. And if, I, if you want later, I'll uh, I'll try to dig it up for you and send it. But and we uh, even looked it up to verify. Yeah, it. we did. Yeah. Uh, it, and I think we did cite it in the book. Because I, I had heard it, um, you know, from among my friends and stuff. And I was like, really? So we looked it all up and it, it was legit. So, so there was a, a story running through the National Guard, the Utah National Guard folks getting kicked out of their hotel because of the optic of them staying in a DC hotel while they were there on their deployment. Uh, they were delivered pizza with glass in it and it's covered in DC. In, right. In DC. So I don't know if it was the same group, but another group. Yeah. That were staying in town had that, delivery. but it all happened around the same time. So we covered it in the book. We cited it. It's, you know, it's a news article. So take it for what it's worth. Right. Uh, fast forward to uh, this deployment and, you know, Julia and her group was activated after January 6th. There were some, you know, limited folks there, but they were after and mostly for the inauguration, right? And they are National Guard, if, you got, if people don't know, are always activated as a group for the inauguration. They're part of their security patrol. So it's all part of part of that uh, normal every four years. This is what they do. Uh, I noticed, uh, and it all started with the parking garage articles about them having to sleep on the floor, which... You know, we can get into that if you want, but uh, I noticed that everybody was contributing and there was GoFundMe pages out there for pizza. And everybody wanted to send the National Guard pizza because they were so proud of them being activated and wanted to support them. It's really nice. Thank you. But where was, where was that in June? Right. It was the exact opposite. And it's just that little, you know, if you, if you look at it from something as simple as pizza, you can see the difference of public opinion, difference of the media. And it's and so true. Like I was, I was, they were, you know, delivering the pizzas and stuff. And I'm like, you know, I just, I, I can't even eat that. Like, it makes me nervous after I, I really got a little changed in the mindset uh, last summer, uh, changed me a little bit, I suppose. So now instead of just seeing things as an act of kindness, you're like, mm. cautious. And I'm yeah. not normally like, I'm, I'm from Minnesota. We love everybody. You know, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm a little more leery. But. That's yeah. And that is an unfortunate, I, in my mind, what I'm seeing is people who are not normally leery of one another are now leery of one another. Um, I know I am with people that I would normally approach with just because I'm approaching a person or interacting with a person. I'm not thinking, oh, are they going like, to think that I'm, a, I'm an asshole or like, are they coming at me because I don't feel like this? Or do I have something patriotic on? Can I not walk into this? building without being harassed but you know and so now there's a, a thing with the uniform like i, I don't oh. know where i should go with the uniform on and with it off even but yeah feel that's a different feel a lot different wearing it today than you did back then right yeah we were told not to wear our uniform in public because there was uh in june halted in, in june. june yep sorry yeah um so they're like do not wear your uniform in public just go straight to and from work you know don't stop any parts of dc um, I, this is just kind of a weird side story that I actually wrote about. Um, 
I remember driving because I had to drive. It's like an hour and a half drive to the armory and back for me every day when we go up there. And uh, as I was coming into Southeast DC, there was this man that just had this sign and it said free milk. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. He's handing out free milk for like the homeless and stuff. And later to come to find out, we were briefed, like, watch out, they're throwing sour milk on you. And today I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> <It's heartening. laughs> just stuff like uh, that, you know, kind of disappointing. But And I never knew, like, who, as they were walking down the street, as I'm standing on the side of the street, if they're going to be, oh, thank you for being here. Because there, there were there were good people that did that. I don't, I don't want to say it was all bad because it wasn't. Um, but, you know, the majority were, they weren't ni- nice comments. And the crazy part about that, and I wrote a little bit about this, that we we don't pick and choose who our president is. We don't pick and choose like who we're going to support or who gives us the orders, like which orders we want to follow and which ones we don't. We just go when, you know, higher authorities tell us to go. And so to blame it, like, you know, whatever, wherever we're at is like a personal thing for us. It's not. It's just it's our job. So on that note, now there's a lot of concern um, I'm going to say this is probably mostly from the far right, like, you know, cause there's extreme on both sides. Right. Oh, yeah. So now there's concern that people like the, the national guard members are going to be at some point used by the far left to do things like come into our homes and seize our weapons and, <laughs> uh, you know, and take people away or whatever it is, you know, you hear all the, the hysteria, and on one hand, you kind of laugh and dismiss it. But on the other hand, you sort of like recognize that it's genuine fear in these people. Some of it's just crazy and like people whipping people up. But the people that that's trickling down to are genuinely fearful that that's going to happen where maybe they wouldn't have been fearful before, but they keep hearing this and hearing this and hearing this. And then they see the visual of tens of thousands of National Guard deployed in DC and wire and it looks like a a war zone in there. So now the hysteria is picking up again. Do you see, um, like, should your unit ever be ordered to, Hey, go into somebody's home and seize their weapons. If they haven't registered or paid their taxes, like physically take it from them. And if they resist, arrest them, bring them in. Can you see national um, guard being, We don't really have the authority to arrest anybody or anything like oh, that. Yeah. We're, we're there to back up the police and, and support them in that way. Now we're sworn in. Um, but I mean, there's a list of things that do not do this, do not engage. You're just supposed to be there to defend yourself. I mean, that's the only type of engagement you have to do. Um, we were completely unarmed in June. Um, but yeah, I don't, that, it's a crazy time right now for sure. It is a crazy um, time there's stuff that has happened that has never happened before. And, and COVID has made this the weirdest year. And so I have no idea politically, like where we're going, who does, um, that seems like a very extreme thing. And I can't imagine that happening, especially with the, the national guard, because like I said, we're, we don't really have that type of authority. Um, right. And this is what you think logically, you know, but, and I'm hoping people listening who do have those fears will kind of like, be able to take, you know, take a deep breath because, you know, they keep saying, you know, if they get orders to go, they're going to just do whatever they're ordered to do, even if they disagree with it, the National Guard and the police officers, you know, they'll come in, they'll like, it's going to be a militarized, you know, we make jokes about Red Dawn, right? Because that's just like fun. Everyone makes jokes about it. There's people who like, genuinely believe that 
that is turning into like a red dawn situation. So, um, there's yeah. a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hysterics that go with it. And, you know, it's education about the role of the national guard. So we, we tried to do that a lot in the book, you know, talking about June, what, what they were there to do, like Julia said, or what they weren't allowed they were to there do. again to protect right. the black lives matters protesters. Right. A lot. It was, it wasn't to enable the protests. If they weren't there, the protests probably couldn't have been as successful and widespread as they were because it would have devolved into, you know, chaos, um, which, you know, you can compare that to January 6th or not. But, you know, the other thing is you're just seeing indicators now. I, I read an article yesterday, the Secretary of Defense is standing down uh, the military so they can take a look at white extremism in, in the military. And that goes to what you said earlier, you know, what's the role of the military? What's the role of the National Guard? And, you know, they swear an oath, right, to protect and defend. And, and you, you don't bring in your political, you know, you don't have a political agenda when you put the uniform on, you, you serve your country. And that that unified feeling with you and your fellow service members from all walks, creeds, religions, races, everything. I mean, we've served, you know, with those people who are from every different walk of life. Now to think that we have to take a look at everybody and see what do you really believe? Because do you, are you worthy to be in this military if you believe something slightly different than your fellow service member or you have a personal belief that might not completely align with the current administration? That's insane. And so that's where I would start to get worried. I wouldn't go to the fact that we're going to you know, break down people's doors and take away their guns. I mean, that that's that's a, a step too far, in my opinion. But yeah, the idea that you don't have this freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of you know action, you know, outside the military. You know, we have when I was in the military, we had very you know prescriptive rules about politics and when you should engage and when you shouldn't and how you speak on behalf of the military and in your uniform, outside your uniform how you address emails as far as a service member to the general public and stuff like that. But, but you, you should still be able to, you know, worship however you want, uh, believe the things you want and not be subject to a, you know, an interview to make sure that your, your politics align with the, with the administration. Yeah. You know, and that, that is something of a fine line, right? How, how that's being used by the far left now is really to, it's a being abused. Um, from my point, I'm not, I'm not like, that's a hundred percent improper. And this is like surprising for me, right? Because I know, for instance, it was a national guard soldier who killed my husband and he had a lot of things in his past that showed he should not have been allowed into the national guard at all, um, like criminal history in the past. So he shouldn't have been allowed in. I know other cases where there were people, soldiers who sympathized with the Muslims and literally went on their version of killing American soldiers on behalf of Muslims um, because they didn't align with American policy on doing what they're doing. So on the one hand, to weed out true extremists is important to protect the ranks, to protect you all from people who shouldn't be in there. On the other hand, you can see who gets to determine what's extreme. You can see how that, that is being exploited now um, by people to weed out those who disagree with them under the guise of strengthening and protecting and shoring up our military. So for me, even to see that being exploited is a little, it actually makes me feel like a little nauseated to know that such a, such a viable thing, because what's going to happen then? Like what, 
when they go that far, are people just going to say, you know what, we're just shutting this down entirely. Whoever wants to come in can come in because we're sick of you exploiting this. Now they're open. You know, what is going to happen? Like they're creating more havoc. You know, that's an unintended consequence. It just makes me sick to see. And I saw where it was being proposed that anybody who even attended the January 6th rally, should it come back in a background check? Like now you're going to have to be asked in the interview, in the part of the background question, you're going to be asked, did you attend that rally? And if people say yes, that could be used to prevent them from joining the military or getting a federal job. Right. And you, you said a key word in there. You said American. And, you know, I, I certainly believe that the military self-regulates. You know, we we understand when people need mental health. You know, that's been a big focus, right, as of, you know, the last decade and people returning from, you know, Iraqi freedom, Afghan, Afghanistan. And, you know, that self-regulation is important. It's also, you know, personal regulation, right? To understand. So not by any means should there be anybody who in the military is, uh, you know, an extreme, you know, far right, left, you know, any kind of extremist. But but it is also important to recognize that there's an American patriotism that goes with it. And it doesn't change every time we change leadership. Right. It doesn't change every time that, you know, you don't, you know, Julia and the National Guard in June weren't out there, you know, on behalf of Trump and his policies. They were out there because they were National Guard ordered to protect their fellow Americans. And that that's the kind of the key to that. And it, it, it's scary when you, you start going down this slippery slope of, you know, like you just talked about where uh, you challenge people based on what their political, you know, not, not their extreme views or their, but their political views right. and who they support. Right. And how is that when you're so, and Nick, let's, Circle, I almost said circle back and now Don't, I can't even say can't that anymore. Say that I can't anymore. even say that no. anymore. Let's uh, visit uh, quickly your your military service history. Yeah, sure. So uh, I commissioned in 2001, <laughs> uh, shortly before 9-11. Uh, my first day of flight school was, was yeah, in, sorry, in the Navy. Uh, my first day in flight school was, uh, I checked in on September 10th and was supposed to report to class on September 11th. So... Uh, the day I checked in, I remember airplanes all over the airfield, just flying around, flying around. And I woke up that morning, I got a phone call from my father saying, turn on the news. And uh, I was, you know, basically confined to my, uh, my uh, officer's quarters for the next week while everything kind of, you know, sorted itself out and didn't hear a single airplane fly for the next week or so. So then starting flight school, you know, ground school, and then into my flight training from there was, was pretty interesting. Uh, went on to fly, you know, three primary aircraft. I, I flew over a thousand hours over Iraq in the, like, 2006 2012 time frame and then i uh, i got out uh at, towards the end of 2015 so i uh, took a defense contracting job so i've been doing that ever since and that's how i met julia right so you know and i just wanted to establish that um now for both of you when you're serving are is there any conversation or conflict among your fellow service members o over politics uh there can be yeah i mean but you do try to not get into that. I mean, too much. I mean, in terms of performing your duty, yeah. like, do you ever worry that the person next to you is not going to have your back because they no, didn't, they don't agree with you? No. Do you ever hesitate to say, I'm not going to go in and support this person because they voted for somebody that, you know, because no. no, we because got in an argument not, before? <laughs> no, no, no. I don't yeah. think you don't that's the the bond that you have in the military, right. you know better, you have to, your person next to you is the most important. Um, 
but there were people, you know, in the, in June that they, it was conflicting a little bit, you know, I mean, there were many people that were supporting Black Lives Matter. We, we all were supporting Black Lives Matter, if that makes sense. But, um, and then they were being called, like, uh, Black Americans that I was serving with, they were being called out by other Black Americans that were rioting and, like, they, they had it the worst. Like, they were being called the worst names and stuff, thinking that... Like, like as if they're traitors or... Yeah, yep, exactly, yeah. that they're, you know, working against them. They, I mean, many of them said, put down your whatever, put down your shield and come with us. Why aren't you with us right now? And it's like... If you're we not are with you. Yeah, we are literally with you. We're here to help you. For you. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, that's, and that was the big thing. So there was, there were so many emotional conflicts of last summer uh, all around for, for everybody. I mean, nobody thought what happened to George Floyd was okay. Nobody thinks that at all. Um, something definitely needed to be done. Um, burning down the city was, and the, you know, small businesses was, the worst thing that they could have done. Um, yeah, you get get heard, but is that the kind of voice you want to put out there? So um, there were there were great organized protests and stuff, and I feel like we are making momentum with the Black Lives Matter. Um, but that other stuff, just the rioting, the nastiness, the the icky things that they did, just overshadowed so much of it, and that's really unfortunate, actually. And that's that's what's intriguing about the story that Julia tells in the book is that. You know, we both had that experience of being, you know, on foreign soil, doing, you know, doing things on behalf of our country with fellow service members. But then you, you put you put someone in the National Guard role in a domestic operations type role with your fellow Americans and you're pitting in some cases, you know, right, wrong or indifferent. You're pitting Americans against Americans. And it it's fascinating to, to unpack all of that and see, you know, what where the the lack of understanding of the role of the National Guard was, what the lack of appropriate coverage by the media was during the Black Lives Matter of the National Guard and their role and to how that got spun to the general public. Uh, you know, and that that was the important part, uh, I think, to get this book out is to truly cover what these patriots were doing to enable not to, you know, prevent the, you know, protests and riots. So... Yeah. And so what I'm here and let me ask again. So you the first time you were fitted for a bulletproof vest was when you were deployed to D.C. for the BLM uh, riots. Right. But you had been overseas before. Yes. So you were never given a bulletproof vest to deploy. No, no. Um, I was in planes the whole time. Okay, I I wasn't on the ground. So you don't need it on the ground. Okay, where you're. Were your were other people given bulletproof vests over there? Not in the navy, <laughs> but yeah. but yeah, probably. Um, I mean, in Iraq and stuff, I'm sure they, they were. The it just wasn't vest. my thing. And and we yeah. are Air National Guard. No, we're all lumped together, and the media and everything that we're doing right now, we're all supporting together. Air and Army. Now the okay. Army guys, they're they're used to this. This is the kind of stuff they do. But I'm I'm used to being on the the flight field or the airfield and in the air and all that kind of stuff. So that's where it was really different. I mean, they had so me the there. army guys are like, Oh, this is just second. This is just another day. Yeah. yeah. And, and I try to make that out of your element. And I try, yes, completely. I try to make like that, <laughs> the humorous stories that came from that as well yeah. in the book, um, just taking, 
you know, the orders from the army and they're, they're very serious about it all. And we're kind of like, what are they doing? Like this one time (laughs) they, there was, we were waiting to get assigned to our, our Humvee, which that was really fun. Never rode a Humvee before. No, (laughs) um, I am in DC, which was really kind of crazy, but, um, there was, uh, there was one of the guys in the the front line and he was in the push-up position and we were like, heck is this guy doing? Like all of us air people on the back and apparently he was being punished for like, really? Like we don't do that since boot camp. Like that's the weirdest thing that they it's like, yeah, well, he was late. He needs to do some push-ups. <laughs> like, oh gosh. Oh um, <laughs> <laughs> so and you know, and when you see it on the news, you see the Humvees rolling by with all these soldiers in who are so big and tough. And in one of those Humvees was Julia like <laughs> What is going on? Why am I here? What is this? <laughs> like waving to people like, hey, hey. <laughs> isn't this cool? So, yeah. yeah. And so what now that for this January deployment you're in, and yes, let's talk about the the parking garage. I have my own thoughts on that. What is the whole, like it, from the civilian point now, I think the outrage isn't so much that you, they were sent to a parking garage is that it's just the symbolism. It's more the symbolism than the, than the, um, the elements, I guess. But, um, what is that? Look, what, what, what well, the funny thing about that is like, <laughs> so I was deployed January 7th, the day after everything. Right. Um, and we were, cause we're DC, we're always the first ones there. Um, and before they started flying everybody in from 52 different States, and that was partly with the inauguration um well, 52 different states <laughs> you know what i mean territories, territories. <laughs> i do know um and then uh but so we were there that first night and we were on duty 26 hours that first night and it was it was what rough. was your duty what were you doing patrolling the the congressional buildings just making sure everything was secure and um and when i say that like again we weren't armed at that point. I know in the future, um, as the guys were coming in for the inauguration, they, they had, um, some, some weapons and stuff. Now we as air guards did not. And it's funny cause I was with, um, one of my, my female coworkers and we were paired up together and we're sitting on the side of the, um, one of the, the Ford building, I think it was. And we're like, this is so weird. It's like two o'clock in the morning and two girls sitting out in DC completely unarmed. So I bought pepper spray the next day. Cause I'm like, this is just so weird. Like I wouldn't do this in my normal life, right, but right, um, right. Com- you know, little sitting ducks there, but um, okay. Parking garage. So <laughs> we actually, that night it was so cold. It was probably 28 degrees. We would go into the parking garage to warm up. Like that was wonderful. It was a heated parking garage. And, and you know, that's we're, not what we were told. We were told it was <laughs> cold in there. Well, maybe that was a different parking garage. We had the heated one. We were living the life there. Um, (laughs) But, uh, and you know, the guys were taking naps, resting as we switched out because like I said, it was a 26 hour shift. Um, And so, yeah, we were sleeping in the parking garage, but we were like, that wasn't really a big deal. Um, And the military, we're so used to sleeping the desert sand and you know I mean slept in worse conditions than that right um in the summer I was sleeping on the streets and not really sleeping but we were waiting for the bus at three o'clock in the morning sitting down on the streets as cockroaches were running by and stuff you know just so it's just part of the it's part of it 
and it was blown up so much like, oh, how dare they sleep in parking lot? Anyways, but it's just why is it different now versus then? Right. Why do they really exactly care it. Now? Like they didn't care before. Although this was and I would say the only people who blew it, it was the right that blew it up this time. Um not so necessarily. Why, there it, was there no? was definitely yeah. So it was blown up on the left too. Well, Amy Klobuchar came out and she's a, oh. you know, very, you know, and from our home state of Minnesota and, you know, very, I, I respect her as a politician, maybe not all our views, but as a, as a, as a, you know, leader in Minnesota, certainly, but, you know, she all of a sudden came out, but where was that rhetoric in, in June? You know, right. where was it when, you know, they're getting things thrown at them like bricks and, you know, people ended up in a hospital on the National Guard side and not a single politician, you know, would dare speak up then. Because, yeah, it didn't you know, make any of the media. Right. That's well, for sure. Get, this time, you the get media canceled. And you get right canceled out. as of being somebody who came out against the Black Lives Movement. You know, so yeah. matter movement. And but now all of a sudden they they get moved out of the rotunda, you know, out of the areas of the Capitol and the, the basement there, and then moved over to a, a warm parking garage. And all of a sudden, it's you know the worst thing that we've ever done to our troops. And it's just amazing how the media spins it both ways. You know, in June versus in January. Yeah. Do you feel like is does any emotion about that like seep into service like is anybody talk about I'm trying to say this without putting words in your mouth because I like I know how how I would feel but is there any feelings or thoughts on how um, politicians or the media pick up certain things and don't pick up certain things and how that impacts your all like your duties it impacts the dudes. I mean, we're still there to do a job. Um, morale might be a little low, you know, at times and stuff. And I don't want to speak across the board for everybody. Right, um, right, right. But, you know, it's kind of like, what are we doing sometimes when it's, you know, for, it's for nothing? But and Julia probably can't say it because, you know, the current yeah. role, but there's a lot of politicians right now are asking leadership, why are the National Guard still activated? You know, what is the purpose of having all these National Guards still activated? And, you know, has there been a single protest or riot in D.C. in the last week or two? I mean, I, I haven't seen any that I right. know about. So and maybe they're saying that's why there are no protests or riots, because the National Guard is there. Um, yeah, potentially. Is I mean, that an indefinite? Right. And solution? how are we using how are we using these, you know, selectively activated troops? You know, right. What is the right. purpose? I mean, it goes back to your earlier, you know, conspiracy that they're all going to be uh, sent out to the the wider houses to, to take away our guns and religion. But no, I mean, it's not. And it's, you know, it's again, it's fascinating that, uh, you know, they're still activated because of this, you know, basically political agenda that's been brought on by the new administration, frankly. Right. And that's what I was wondering without wanting to like, you know, to say it, you know, is there a feeling where I am sitting again, it, it looks to me like among the pawns in the politicians game, the national guard is one. They have many pawns. And I feel, I feel like looking on the outside that you all are one of the politicians pawns in this. I could be right or wrong, but that's just my viewpoint. And I, I know other people who feel the same, so I didn't know uh, if maybe that had crossed anyone's mind or if it's just something you got to be like, look, it doesn't matter why we're here. We're just here. So let's just like put all that aside and, and block that out and just do what we got to do kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's the servicemen's mentality, yeah. servicemen, women's mentality. But, you know, I'm a regular citizen. So are you. And we can we can plainly see right. it. Right. I agree with you. Like it's just, 
That's how I feel. And if my husband was, you know, still here and suddenly he has to go for three months to, to DC and I'm home with my four little kids and I'm like, what the hell? Like, well, I, I would be annoyed, you know, um, I mean, it would seem like, like a benefit now, you know, to have him here, but that's only, you know, perspective. Right. But, um, but, you know, for family members to, to lose the mom, the dad, whoever it is to go for all this. And you're like, you know, you're putting a toll on them. And if you can say, Hey, it's in service of the country, it's for a greater cause. Like we're all doing our duty. This is your way to support this, but you know, it can get a little hard when you don't even know what the dilly is up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to give you the politically correct answer right now. So, you know, you're, yeah, no, I hear you. I hear it. And again, it's hard for me because I don't, I really don't want to be putting words in your mouth. Like, I, I really do want the actual truth because it's very frustrating to be out here and being spun all these things. And again, as somebody who was there January 6th, to hear Pelosi get up there and say, hear her say that I chose my white supremacy over democracy by attending that rally actually just makes my blood boil. Um especially having seen what happened in DC in June where she was celebrating that and Kamala bailed these people out and what the the heck is happening, you know, in our country. But in terms of national guard service, what are your plans? Like, do you feel like you're going to stay in moving forward? Is this, is this prompting, you know, are there people, could this maybe impact your decision to stay? It's possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that's, yeah. I'm putting you on the spot with that. I'm putting you on the spot. Sorry about that. Um, um, I mean, I I I love serving, like I said, and I love to continue. I I have a couple years to make that decision, but we'll we'll see how the next couple years go. Okay, Nick, as a veteran, hypothetically speaking, if you were yeah. st- if you were still in if you were in the military being called to do things um, that you didn't necessarily find a purpose in anymore or understand the purpose in anymore. Can you, would that, do you think that would impact your decision to stay or not? If I was in the national guard, I probably would be frustrated. Uh, I I think, you know, when you're active duty in regular military, you know, you're not always going to perfectly understand why and when, how you're there. And that happened several times during my career. Like, why are we doing this mission today? What is this for? But you, you, you're there for a greater purpose, right? And that's to serve your country and to do, you know, and that's, that's what makes our military great is that, you know, we act with conviction, but question, right? We, we do things, uh, you know, very at the, at the lower levels. We're not, you know, commanded at a very supremely high level. We're, we're given delegated authority and, and a lot of things that make, you know, make us the best military in the world. But, but when we, when we're put in positions, especially in domestic positions, right? Uh, Winter National Guard and having never served National Guard, I'm, I'm only speaking from speculation, but it, it, it is frustrating, right? Because you are, uh, you're away from home, but you're still home mm-hmm. in the greater home, right? You're, you're away, right. you're doing things. It's like you're, you're so close, but you're so far. Right, right. Yeah. Sitting off the ship, staring at the coast. Uh, yeah. You know, so uh, it, it's tough and it, it takes a toll because if there's, if there's not a, defined end game or purpose to what you're there for and you keep getting extended yeah. and you keep getting told oh you don't have to come today but tomorrow you have to be here and you know all those things that that takes a toll it, it would be better in some cases to just say here's your two weeks you're going to be here the whole time and then it's done 
but you know we're we're dragging this out and and you know you and i can say it, it's pretty politically motivated right it's it's not for any you know defined threat we've seen that in the media there's no you know there's no credible defined threat in open source media right now to to you know justify the continued presence so it it is frustrating and it it's hard to see especially after what happened in june and then to have you know a reactivation like this in our nation's capital you know for for what purpose so yeah all right so julia some of the your biggest takeaways from the june 6th I mean, it's June 6th, June 6th is in my head from the June, <laughs> a little slip there, um, from the, from the June deployment to DC. Oh, well, there's a lot of takeaways, I guess. Um, it did, it did kind of, you know, going in there, like all motivated and then kind of thinking, feeling afterward. Um, I definitely went through, um, an evolution in my own mind, I guess, of, of, seeing a lot more out there than or realizing that a lot more is happening than we really know about. And, um, I don't know, it is just, it was a lot. And I, I found myself like going on, on these, uh, or almost, I don't even know how to say it. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's a little emotional. Um, thank goodness I had my friends to keep me stable. Um, and I was, uh, a little over the top and I didn't realize I was getting that way, I suppose. And, and then I had like these reality checks and, um, kind of centered me back to, Oh, wow, this isn't me. This is, this is what's real and what's not. And it just kind of just got to you, you know, I suppose. And there was only like two weeks of that, like can't even compare to, you know, what people are enduring in like a wartime and and how that kind of messes with your head a little bit. Um, but you know, there's not a comparison to that, but it, I've, I've had people that I, you know, friends and stuff and say like, you know, there's a lot of like what I experienced when I came home from Vietnam and stuff and to not have that feeling. And again, I don't want to make like this big comparison because that's so much more substantial, but it, it kind of had a little bit of that vibe. And well, and remember we're both, you know, products of that, that 2001 timeframe, right? Yeah. So it was thank you for your service. I couldn't buy a beer for 10 years. I couldn't buy my own beer for 10 years because I was right. in uniform and I was in the military. Yeah. I mean, I remember going and, you know, going home and going on trips and, you know, being kind of out of uniform and people find out that I'm in the military and there's this awe, like, oh my gosh, thank you for what you're doing. I can't believe, you know, that's such great. Thank you for your service. And then, you know, her first report back the first day there and some of the things that were said to her, you know, and, and by fellow Americans, I mean, it's, it's astonishing that we got to that place, you know, and I contrast it to, uh, you know, the first thing I thought of is my grandfather, you know, came home from Vietnam for his father's funeral and, uh, he got spit on in his uniform, you know, while he was, you know, in his small town of Iowa, you know, and, or Southern Minnesota. And that, you know, to me, having that in your own country, right. To have that, that feeling of, you know, somebody doesn't respect you for your service. Uh, it's just, and it's not that I'm not asking for the praise and the thanks or anything like that at all. It's just, it's weird to have such the extreme opposite when you're just there to do a job, you know, you're you're doing something, you're you're serving for your country, uh, for the people, all the people. Right. But so has that now changed a little bit is 
on the, no, with the yeah new well it's weird to go on the streets now and everybody's like thank you for being here thank you I've only <laughs> I've only been met with um praises since I've been on the streets now right. funny on the streets um but like <laughs> that's mind-blowing to me like I don't know how to take that now I'm like that's where I'm saying I'm kind of like really cautious now I guess I've been jaded a little bit yeah <laughs> but I yeah. don't want to be like that either but just experience before. yeah it's hard not to know well, so how is the book, how, what is the response to the book that you're getting? Um, we've heard like so many great things from our, our supporters. Um, we, we've been really. Yeah, we're kind of waiting for a challenge actually, because we've gotten a lot of positive feedback, but I think yeah. it's because we have a lot of really close friends and family who've been, you know, part of it. And, you know, thank you for having us on your show to try to, you know, bring that to the wider audience and you know, start the discourse of, uh, you know, yeah, pop that up again, Julia, yeah. show the book again. <laughs> what, what it's all about, because, you know, it really is, it's, it's a story about what the media didn't tell you in June. It's a story of, you know, a cheerleader mom who gets activated and thrown in with riot gear. So we're trying to start that discussion and only, yeah. you know, enhance that by January 6th. Right. So now we're, we're back in this, you know, this idea that the National Guard's deployed again and there's another message coming out. So it's, right. it's fascinating for us to see what's going on. I bet, I bet. And I feel like, and this is just me projecting my own thoughts again, but, you know, it is our podcast. So, <laughs> But <laughs> I feel like it's going to be a challenge for you all because it doesn't necessarily fit the narrative that's being fed. Um it doesn't necessarily fit the narrative, even though you're not intent. It's unfortunate. It's like, you're literally just telling the truth. Um, but because the truth is conflicting with the narrative, uh, I feel like it's going to be slower to gain support or pick up traction because they control the people who, who don't want your truth to come out. It doesn't fit their narrative. They're the people who control what gets out. Um, so it is, it is a little bit, of an uphill battle you're facing, but we'll certainly do our part to continue uh, spreading it. And, and again, you know, I'd like to keep the channels open. Should you have anything new or you want to like share developments or updates or insight? Because what I'm finding with most people, like where we're coming from, of course we have, you know, we're disappointed in, in what's going on. We don't like it. We have a narrative that we'd like to see happen, but more more importantly, we just want to know the truth. We just want to know what is real, what is not real. Like, can we stop spinning everything out? So whatever the truth may be, like, then that's why I wanted to bring up the parking garage thing, right? Because it was blown up into such a thing. And a lot of people were just so outraged over that and the thought of that. But the reality was like, it was just almost like you guys were sort of surprised. Like, what is, what, you know, why is everybody so whipped up, you know? Um, and that's just a, an example of how things can get so far distorted. And so I feel like that was sort of a safe example to use, right? But we just want to know the truth. And if the truth didn't fit the narrative that, oh, the left is so mean and Pelosi kicked everybody out into the cold and you were suffering, so be it. Like nobody, you know, there's enough truth to uh, to support the other side that, you know, you don't really need falsehoods coming out. And that just... Right. And hopefully there's enough people that want to know that and maybe they'll, they'll get a little taste of that in the book, you know, what, what's real and what's not. Yeah. Not only that, but you really do a good job of reminding people that underneath the uniforms are human beings, right? You just want to get home to your kids and, and your husband and 
Like, why am I driving so late at night? Should I drive or should I sleep on this bench? Even though there's a cockroach here, is that better than driving and falling asleep at the wheel? Like, these are things we all think about. Well, maybe not the cockroach, you know, but like, <laughs> you know, um, and the uncertainty and all this. And so I think it's really important. Um, I would love to know. And actually, if anybody listening to this episode wants to leave a review and uh, let me know that you leave the review and email me, barb at americansnippets.com. For the first five people that do that, I'll buy them a copy of your book and I'll send it to them, um, you know, to show support and get this out and, and spread it. So, and I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, and we'll just keep doing whatever we can do to help get it out. Okay. Well, thank Appreciate you so it. much. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for being here. Tell everybody where they can go to get the book. Yes. You can get that at tactical 16, their website.com, tactical 16.com, or I have a website at juliamackey.com. J-U-L-I-A-M-A-K-I.com. Okay. And we'll put or the link. Or if you like Prime, Amazon Prime, you can get it on Amazon. But uh, if you want to support in a, in a better way, go to the, the small <laughs> publisher. Tactical 16 has been great. Just a pitch to them. They've been an awesome publisher. Took care of uh, Julie and I throughout the process. And it was, it was it was incredible. We turned this thing around in about four or five months. So it was, uh, it was a rush to get it out because it was a hot topic. Yes. And it's going to just get hotter. I love them. You know, I just signed with them too. So my book will be coming out in, uh, in June, I hope that's where we're shooting for June or July. So yeah, now I get to work with them too. Um, but yeah, thank you again, both so much and let's stay, let's stay in touch. Okay. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thanks Barb. All right, everyone, there you have it. That wraps up another episode of the American Sippets podcast. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of your time with us here today. I'd like to personally thank Julia Mackey-Pyra and Nicholas Catronio for being here as well. Make sure you pick up their book, Guardians, Stories of the 2020 Civil Unrest in Washington. Check out the show notes, re-listen to the the uh, interview, watch the video interview by going to americansnippets.com forward slash newsletter. Uh, don't forget to follow us on social as well, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at American Snippets. If you got any value out of this episode, please share this podcast episode with a friend to let people know what we're doing here. Share one of your favorite episodes on Facebook. Uh, and most importantly, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also use podchaser.com. iTunes reviews and reviews in general are really important in helping us grow our audience and getting our podcast up there higher in the podcast rankings. So we would really appreciate your support if you could leave us a review. Make sure you follow us, subscribe to our newsletter. Again, americansnippets.com forward slash newsletter. Thank you so much for being here today. We will see you soon. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you really are. Yeah.